0: Well, I came in um, Friday morning, and I had worked uh, the week, and I had had a bad title in my sermon. It was called Holy Disruption. So I went up to my, uh, my prayer room, and as I was praying for you and imagining this call from this awesome incarnation text, uh, we looked at the Nativity story on how disruptive God was in His ways, and I was praying for you, and maybe you would be willing to let God disrupt you, and the Lord disrupted me. And uh, and I ha- and he called me to another text, so I had to scrap, hit delete on the sermon I'd worked on, and start it over Friday morning. But i had say, help me!" I don't know if she's here. There she is. Sayla came and helped me, and so I think this one's going to be a little better. Uh, and so, <laughs> um, let's pray again. And uh, and if you have a Bible, uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you. Uh, we'll we'll use that uh, in just a moment. But Lord, um, I thank you uh, for being a God who is willing to disrupt us, not because you're disruptive, but because often we uh, drift from walking with you. And we thank you that you're willing to appear disruptive. And this morning, would you speak to us? Would you open our ears to hear your voice? In Christ's name, amen. Well, the threat of snow is upon us for tonight, I couldn't think of a better story to tell than a summer one. Several years ago, I was in western Pennsylvania, and my brother-in-law and I um, decided on a warm, clear night to go on a bike ride through uh, near my dad's house. There's a few farms, and so we're on the back roads, and we're enjoying the warm air and the, and the dark night and the stars, and all of a sudden, we looked up along a tree line on the road, and there in the midst of all the branches is a sight we'd never seen in our life. There must have been tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of fireflies all amongst the branches. Now, of course, we had seen fireflies in Western PA in the summertime, in the evenings. It's usually humid. They'll fly through the dark air and flicker. And as kids, we used to catch them and put them in jars. And sometimes we'd torture them and tear off the glowing part and try to make glow sticks with them, which is, we know, sin, but we didn't know. Um... (laughs) In this particular night, though, I'd never seen, or even to this day, I'd never heard of anything like this. If you know what it is, tell me after, because I'm curious. There must have been hundreds of thousands of fireflies that were flickering, but mostly steady and on. It, It was like a Christmas tree lit up in these huge oak trees. And we just stopped, we pulled off to the side of the road, and we just stared. We didn't say a word. And we are in the wonder of God's creation I don't know if you've ever seen a site like that where whether it's something that you visited, maybe the Grand Canyon maybe a, a local wonder Well, we went back home and uh, as they say um, we were visiting my kids and Carly and my sister and her kids and a few things spoil after three days, fish and family visits some of you will get to experience that spoiling this week and the wonder quickly wore off. And I don't know about you, but I find that the wonder I have with God, whether it's a time where I'm praying or I'm seeking Him in the Word or I'm listening to His voice and I'm in wonder. It's it, as, the, as the psalm says, I'm prone to wander. And we're prone to wander from the wonder. But this morning as we consider the text of the incarnation, we have reason to fall back into wonder And so we'll do that this morning. If you'll open up your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. If you're looking in the Pew Bible, that's on page 613. And we'll look at the first three verses together. As you're turning there, uh, borrowing from theologian Dr. John Oswalt, here's a quick backdrop of the book of of Isaiah. Uh, First of all, Isaiah is commonly referred to as the Prince of Prophets. His book was written over about 40 years And it is also thought of as a Bible in miniature because there are two distinct portions of Isaiah and two distinct themes of judgment and one of hope. It reveals our God who is willing to discipline His people when they wander from the wonder. In the book, we see that Isaiah prophesies nearly 200 years before it happens, but the Babylonian exile comes and we know that, uh, that they displaced Israel for nearly 70 years. Isaiah also reveals this awesome hope that God redeems his people whom he loves. The book of Isaiah was written about 700 years before the incarnation, before the coming of Jesus. And there's this marvelous poem in the midst of this book in the 53rd chapter that describes the details of the Messiah. We're going to look at some of these this morning. And so let's take a look at those first three verses of Isaiah 53. He says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. There are many, many wonders of the incarnation this morning. We'll have time to look at three. And we'll use Isaiah 53 as somewhat of a prophetic lens toward the incarnation the first wonder that struck me as i was reflecting on the incarnation through isaiah 53 was the wonder of god's humility the wonder of god's humility look at the first verse who has believed us who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the lord been revealed well we know that jesus is the king of kings And so, in essence, we can think of His coming as the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, as a royal birth. And so, I wanted to, in reflecting on this, consider another or a royal birth that happened in another nation. And the first that came to my mind, because it was around my time of birth, was the birth of William in England to Prince Charles and Diana. Some of you remember this. So, let's side-by-side compare or contrast... The coming of these two royal sons, Jesus and William. Well, William was conceived uh, uh, after his dad and mom were married. Uh, it's estimated that uh, Charles and Diana's wedding was observed uh, in person and through, uh, through television by somewhere around 750 million people, celebrating almost uh, three quarters of a billion Uh, Mom and dad enjoyed marital intimacy And quickly became pregnant Which was followed by a customary royal walk Of Princess Diana And in this royal walk As people threw flowers and toys It took two entire police cars Totally filled with flowers and toys At the celebration and the excitement Of the anticipation of the birth Of a child The birth atmosphere was amazing As Diana progressed, she had a private, clean, sterile hospital room, the top doctors in the nation, supportive family, state-of-the-art technology. The USA Today reported that outside of the hospital, there was a carnival-like atmosphere. People came s- s- saying, selling strawberries and cream to those who were hungry since they had been there before dawn, anticipating the birth. Mark and Lauren, did you have this atmosphere outside of your hospital? The prince, of course, when he was born found himself in a royal crib. I don't know how much his crib was, but uh, I know that uh, Kate Middleton uh, and William, now who's an adult, uh, were given a a crib that was valued at $70,000 as a gift, and so I don't know what Prince William's was. I couldn't find it, but that stuck out to me. Uh, As the baby was born, there was a royal 41-gun salute outside of Buckingham Palace, and it's estimated that somewhere around 4200 gifts came in to celebrate this prince of one nation not even really it's 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 somewhat of a, a nicety it's not true power but millions celebrated the coming of prince william well as we think about that it, i think it's worth it to worthy to say well I wonder what the celebration, if that's just one prince, what would it be like for the prince of all princes? Not just of all the 262 some odd nations, but the princes, the kings of all time. Well, let's look at the fanfare he received. We know the story, but let's contrast it. The wedding fanfare. I think Mary and Joseph might have had their mom and dad celebrating their wedding Uh, they weren't wealthy they in fact came from a low-income farming community mom and dad of course mary and joseph uh, entered into betrothal which is a period of about a year there was no marital intimacy at that point and so it's reason reasonable to expect no pregnancy except in this case because the coming of the king of kings came during that period when mom wasn't supposed to be enjoying marital intimacy. And so you can imagine an incredibly painful and awkward conversation between Joseph and his fiancée, Mary. How do you explain? The, over, the Holy Spirit overshadowed me. The baby belongs to God. There was prophecy that might give precedence to this, but who could ever possibly believe that it was going to happen to them? There was no fanfare, uh, maybe the only fanfare that might have been going through joseph 's mind in his worst moments was what Jewish law permitted him to do, which to gather some and to put Mary to death for her adultery because that was clearly the way this happened, at least at first in his mind. There was no fanfare. Joseph went to sleep one night, having planning to uh, uh, protect her, he was a man of God he um, wanted to to not have her go through the painful process of, of stoning. And so he planned to divorce her quietly, but that was interrupted, disrupted by the voice of God, visiting him in a dream, affirming the wild story that his betrothed offered him. But there was no celebration. There was no fanfare. And about as soon as they got at home with that idea... It was called for a census, which meant that they had to travel a dangerous journey. It said that in that time, somewhere in the ballpark of one out of three women would die just from pregnancy in a safe environment. How about having to travel a long journey? Mom and royal baby's life were at risk. The birth atmosphere, this was no private, clean, sterile environment. We know what happened. The motel manager decided that it, there was no reason to clean out a room or clear out a room for this mom who was giving birth because clearly there was nothing special about them. And so he opened up his animal lean-to, which was open and bug-infested. It was vulnerable. There were no family, no doctors, no technology. There, were no, there was no anticipation from the community. And when a king of all kings was born... He wasn't laid in a $70,000 crib. He's laid in an animal bowl. How about the celebration? Was there a 41 gun salute? Was there 4,200 gifts? We think that there were somewhere around three gifts that came about a month after the birth. Counting mom and dad, we can count, probably count on two hands, the amount of celebra- celebration that was happening from people, maybe a couple more if you include the angelic spirits who were singing in the air. The prophet's question rings out, who has believed what we have said? Who has believed? Less than 10? And I don't know if you, I'm sure you have, I shouldn't even ask the question, it's, it's, uh, it's a question I know how you'd answer It's hard to not be believed. Have you ever been in a situation recently? Maybe at work, you've done research and you've brought something to the table for your team to consider and rather than following your research and your best recommendation, they go a totally different direction. Surely, if you are married, you know what it feels like to not be believed. At least, uh, uh, you know, when Carly and I drive, uh, I'll often hear from her, why are you going this way? She's, a, she's better at directions than I am. Little things in life. The other night, Fry, uh, Selah and I and Aiden played a new game that we learned called Dutch Blitz. Anybody ever play that? Uh, it's like a kind of a fast-paced solitaire game you play in a group. And uh, we've been enjoying it. There was one round where Selah just did incredible. Um, she did so well that she got tons of positive points. In this game, you can get negative points. I got like 30 negative points. And I was mad. I mean, I was mad. She just whooped me. And I said, the first came out of my mouth wasn't congratulations, honey, you did awesome. It was, did you shuffle your cards? (laughs) And Selah looked at me, she was a little hurt. You know, even in the little things, it's hard when we're not believed. Do you think that the king of all kings, when he makes a proclamation, is worthy of being believed? that His coming is worthy to be celebrated. And yet here we stand, who has believed Him? Our King was born in an animal ball. He was not celebrated. There was no salute. It wasn't even clean or even private. And this is the wonder of the humility of our God. He Himself is humble. And He's humble as He came to us. Listen to Pastor Theologian Brian Zond describe the humility of God in the incarnation. God the Almighty. Who, he is God Almighty who chooses absolute vulnerability. God is the divine sovereign who accepts human limitation. God is the ultimate transcendence who joins in human suffering. God is the rightful monarch who becomes a displaced refugee. God is the infinite who empties himself God is the God who becomes human. God is the God who becomes common. God is the God who becomes poor. Oh, the wonder of the humility of God. And I wonder this morning, as you are here, as we are here to worship together, in your smallness, in your conflict, in the spaces of your life where you're experiencing mental or emotional or relational mess, are you tempted to assume that it's too dark for your God? Are you tempted to assume that He doesn't join you there? This morning, might we reflect on the wonder of the humility of God in the Incarnation? That it was He who chose the trough. It was He who chose an uncelebrated coming. And it's He who chooses us this morning in the mess And the incompleteness and the imperfect and the smallness. There's the wonder of God's humility. There's a second wonder that stuck out to me of the incarnation. And that's the wonder of God's fierce love. Take a look at verses 2 and 3 if you still have your Bibles open. of Isaiah 53. Here we're going to find this idea that God's willing to offend our mind to reveal our heart. To heal our heart take a look at the text. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. In the context of the coming of Jesus, it's important to point out that Israel was desperate for vindication. It had been centuries of humiliation that the promises of God that they received and collected and believed and prayed were obviously not coming to pass anytime soon and they longed for vindication. Imagine for a moment, I know there's none in here, but it's, it's probably what it feels like to be a Cleveland Browns fan. And there's none in here, uh, right? Okay. Maybe a Steelers fan or two, but listen to this about the Browns. Since 2014, the latest I saw, this might be worse now. Um, they are 4-43. and 43. Uh, They are setting a record. I saw that, uh, th- that there were people in Cleveland that were writing a, writing a petition to put up a plaque in the Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, uh, the NFL, uh, to display this awesome record. No one's ever done this before. It's terrible. Um, And and so they're on pace for a 30-game losing streak. It's never been done. Now Israel was like that except just all of life. Um, They experienced their temple being destroyed. They had little sense of national identity. They were constricted under Roman rule, not self-governing fully, paying taxes to a Caesar who declared himself God. It was humiliating, and they longed for a conquering king. They fantasized about God sending this Messiah, and here comes poor, unknown, uncelebrated Jesus. We can relate with their longing. This is why, as Pastor Ben has taken us through a series in Acts, in Acts chapter 1, even after spending several years with Jesus and him disappointing them over and over because he didn't rise up to take over, they ask him, even when he ascends in Acts 1, 6 and 7, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? This is so interesting. There's a huge rabbit trail here. I've got to resist it. Jesus says, no, it's not for you to know the times. And then Acts 8 you You've been hearing all the time last year, haven't we? But I will endue you with power from on high. Oh, by the way, it's a kind of power that when it comes on you, people aren't going to be wowed. It's going to be like a bunch of Curly Moe and Larry slipping on banana peels, everyone thinking that you're drunk. How about that kind of power? See, he came as an infant not celebrated. And the third person of the Trinity came as fire. He came as a wonder, but many still rejected. I, you know, in the text it says what? 3,000 came to know him that day? That is pittance. That's nothing. There were millions in, in Jerusalem at that time for Pentecost. The whole The nation was gathered for a celebration. 3,000? He continues his ways today of humility and the wonder of the incarnation of His fierce love. I said this earlier, but God is willing to offend our mind to reveal our hearts, to heal our hearts. Who of us doesn't want to be celebrated? Who of us doesn't want to be successful? In in a way, there isn't anything wrong with longing to be safe and known and celebrated and i don't think anybody desires to be embarrassed israel didn't desire it and yet there's an interesting enmeshment that's happened in our fallenness Uh, it's it's weird it's like god wants to exalt us he promises that when we humble ourselves under his mighty hand he will lift us up in due time lifting up isn't wrong but the way we get lifted up is the issue Pride wants to have us be the heroes who lift ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's, by the way, the American way. And yet here comes Messiah embracing humility and hiddenness and messiness. And we were offended by this. Now I know we weren't there, but I know that's true because I still get offended at His ways of humbleness in my life. There's ways I want to be successful quickly. There's ways that I want to be heard and understood. And yet he's willing in his fierce love to offend our minds, to reveal the pride in our hearts so that he can heal our hearts and raise us up in due time in his way. And this is precisely what happened with Jesus. He didn't come as a conquering king. He came as a suffering servant. Well, what does Isaiah say? He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. I thought to myself, Isaiah, I don't know how prophetic that is because there's no such thing as a good looking newborn. Aren't they all not desired? I, you can combine ET and a, and a shrunken old man and you get a newborn. Isaiah, that's not necessarily prophetic. We can all know that. I'm kidding. He was speaking of Jesus' whole life. And Mark and Lauren, hey, pretty good looking baby, pretty good looking baby. You got to see David. If you haven't seen David after service, make sure you congratulate Mark and Lauren. What about financially? Um, How about the majesty here? We already talked about Jesus' birth, being in a shack, but this didn't stop. He didn't come humbly and all of a sudden rise up. There's this awesome video that um, I saw. P- Pepsi put out a commercial. And, and it's, you see this elderly African-American man showing up to a, playground, uh, a, um, a basketball port- court where there's incredible basketball players that play in New Jersey. And this elderly overweight man shows up sitting on the sideline. His nephew plays, and he wants to get in the game. And there's, nobody wants to let this guy's name's Uncle Drew into the game. Uh, and so at some point one of the players gets injured and you see in the video his nephew tells him to come in and this elderly man does as he expect air balls he's holding his back at some point but then at some point uncle drew flips on a switch and he hits a three and then another three and another three and then he gets in in a one-on-one situation with one of these young guys and he's he's taunting him and calling calling young blood he's like don't You know, don't rest, young blood. And all of a sudden he crosses over, drives to the hoop, and he slam dunks the ball. And the entire park erupts. Like, who is this grandpa who is overweight and slam dunking the ball? Well, eventually what you find out in the commercial is that it's Kyrie Irving, NBA all-star, who had been professionally made up to look like an elderly man. And you just, I even telling the story, just get goosebumps. Just love this triumphant. I just want to rise up. We want every love the movies where you just see, see see the team winning. Um, and, and here we have this Messiah coming as uncelebrated, and, and, and the disciples are like, "Are you gonna dunk it now? Are you gonna be powerful now?" I mean, Jesus is healing the sick. That's an interesting thing, thing, by the way, about the power of the Holy Spirit. I used to. Years ago when I was a kid, um, and in, I had heard people tell stories about this, but it's like, I think, well, if someone's healed or there's a miracle, it's all good then. No. Jesus is doing these miracles, and people are like, yeah, he, he, the demons help him do it. The humble ways of Jesus are the humble ways of the Holy Spirit, and no, he will not rise up. No, he will still be rejected foxes have holes birds have nests but the son of man has no place to lay lay his head he was a homeless king i think it's important to note one more thing as we're considering the fierce love of god mary's life was spared as god spoke to joseph but his shame continued Uh, after bar mitzvah At the age of 13, he moved on through into his later teen years when rabbis would look and be observing the young men of the community. Did you know that Jesus wasn't chosen by a rabbi? Rabbis choose those who they consider a worthy prodigy, someone who they believe could replicate their ministry. The Torah of God wasn't chosen. I don't know about you. I might walk away at that point. At some point, it gets a little too humiliating, but not for our God. He comes as a suffering servant, despised and rejected. Why? He himself was willing to take on offense. He himself has a fierce love that's greater than his own need to be lifted up. You know, and he operates and he loves us with this love as well because he's willing to offend our minds to reveal the pride in our hearts so that He can heal us. And in the process of healing us, lifting us up in His way, in His time, in a way that won't crush us and crush others, just like He did Jesus. I don't like this humbling process. Do you? I don't like it one bit. This past February, um, through a set of circumstances, some of you know this, I was uh, invited in and accepted the invitation to join our chaplaincy program in our, with Redmond Police and Fire. I had no idea such a thing existed. I'm thankful to the Casto family for some of the ways that they um, allowed some of this to happen. I don't think they knew they were, but God used them to do such. And so for the past year, I've been in a process of um, learning what it is to be a chaplain. I've been to academy. Um, I've, I spend time riding along with our, our, our um Officers uh, learning their stories, um, and particularly in our city, when there are fatalities, a chaplain is always called to support the police and to support our medics. I'm thankful for Pastor Ben and Pastor Craig for their vision that we would be a church that is present in our neighborhood and our community, and they allow me to use uh, a few of my hours each week to be present with our with our community. Anyway, it's been about a year. And uh, the past few weeks have been pretty intense. I've been on a couple of all-night calls this past couple of weeks. And um, anyway, we as a team needed to debrief. And so uh, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, I went into the department. Uh, we were to be in a certain administrative room, and I was having trouble finding it. So one of our sergeants saw me looking around, and her name's Sergeant Beard. She said, hey, John, can I help you find a, you know, where we are going? And she escorted me to where this room was. And I'm just, you know, like, you know I, Lord, I'm thinking, thank you for this ministry. I'm just kind of feeling great about things, and I'm saying hello to people. And, and I get to the room, and I walk over, and our senior chaplain looks at me, and, and he says, hey, John, your fly's down. And I'm like, oh, no. How many people did I walk past, and they saw my fly down? I, I did instantly what I, I only think I could do. I pulled on my zipper and everyone saw me and I ran out of the room. And I say, Sergeant Beard, you didn't tell me. My fly was down. And she said, I didn't see your fly down. I don't look down there. <laughs> my face was red and then turned a few more shades red. And I tried to compose myself as I sat down for the debrief. And we, of course, laughed we have an awesome team, and we, we love and support one another. And after being offended at my own folly, I had to settle into the truth that I'm a, ser- a servant to this department, not a hero. I'm a volunteer, not a staff member. And sometimes I am going to appear less composed than I want to. But I can tell you, I don't like the humbling process. I want to appear like Kyrie Irving, not Uncle Drew. Sometimes I wish that I was Clark Kent or who could become Superman anytime I wanted, and there was Israel looking for the Messiah to open up his cape and save israel, and yet he didn't do that. He was despised, so he was rejected all because of this wonder of his fierce love, his fierce love is willing to go to the hard places, his fierce love doesn't need the adulation and the affirmation. His fierce love is here for us this morning. And I wonder about you, where in your life today are things not as put together as you wish they were? Maybe your prayer life. Maybe your friendship. Maybe your physique. your thought life. Or your career path, maybe your marriage, maybe your singleness. This morning, as we reflect on the wonder of the incarnation, it's a call for us to embrace the humble God who He Himself was willing to take on offense and to walk quietly, being rejected and despised by His own community for years. And so, as he comes to us to invite us this morning into that way of humility, he comes knowing the way. He comes knowing how to show us the way. Listen to this as we finish this wonder of the fierce love of God from Philippians chapter 2. Paul exhorts the church of Philippi, and he does to us today by the Holy Spirit. Would you have this mind among yourselves? which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, And bestowed on Him the name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God and the Father. The wonder of the fierce love of God is an experienced love with humility that calls us to humility The final wonder of the incarnation we're going to discuss this morning is the wonder of God's compassion. Take a look at verse 3 with me. This is the wonder of God's compassion that he loves us enough to fully enter our story. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. I think for me, at least reflecting this past few days on this text, Perhaps the most shocking part of this passage is that He is a man. That God became a man. The infinite, eternal, uncreated, omniscient, omnipresent, almighty God, who has no beginning and no end, became a man, in fact, a baby, in need of His mommy, to change his soiled diapers, to nurse him at her her breast, and to hold him when he cries. Now how do we conceive this wonder of the incarnation? I'm not sure it's possible. Many years ago, I remember reading uh, Max Locato, devotional author, take take an attempt at explaining the incarnation in a way. He said, imagine for a moment, you have a pet gerbil. And imagine that that gerbil gets in some kind of trouble that you as a human can't help him with. And so the only way for you to help your pet gerbil is for you to become a gerbil. The caveat, however, isn't just that you're a gerbil, but that you'll forever remain a gerbil, never to be human again. You see, Jesus is indeed fully God, but he is also fully and forever human. Amazing. Compassion. He didn't just come... To hear our story, or to somehow from a distance help us with a rope from our trouble, he entered in to the trouble forever to be part of the story. Pastor uh, Chaplain Bob Eiler from Pierce County uh, does an important teaching, and you may have heard this before from another source, but I heard Bob Eiler teach this, which is the difference between sympathy, empathy, and compassion. Sympathy is a kind of love where we offer care with an emotional distance. And so we might say, I see you, I'm aware of your pain, but it's outside of me, and I'm sorry for you. So it's kind of an external love, sympathy. Empathy goes a little deeper and it adds experience to care. It might say, I feel you, I'm willing to be with you in your pain. As you suffer, experience is added to care with empathy. Compassion takes both of those even more deeper, and it adds action to care and experience. Compassion says, I'm with you. Your pain is my pain, and I'm here to suffer alongside you and take action as I can. Henry Nouwen said it this way, the one gifted with compassion Sees the harassed and helpless in crisis or caught in tragic circumstances. The compassionate one cannot help but do what Jesus did. To step alongside them and proclaim, I've been there. I know the way. Let me walk with you. Jesus, however, takes sympathy, empathy, and compassion to a depth that's unfathomable. In the incarnation, he becomes one of us. Augustine writes about this. Listen to what he says. And and I wish I didn't put this on the slide. I I wish I would have because in this quote, there are capital letters. So when when a word's capitalized, I'll point up so you know which is capitalized. It's an important thing. Here's what Augustine says about the incarnation. Man's maker was made that he, the ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast. The bread might hunger. The fountain might thirst. The light sleep. The way be tired on its journey. The truth might be accused of false witness. The teacher be beaten with whips. The foundation be suspended on wood. The strength might grow weak. The healer might be wounded that life may die. The wonder of the compassion. Becoming one of us. Not content to be at a distance, although that would be amazing. Not content just to save with us, but to become us. I don't know what your hard days are like. I don't know what you do with your pain. We all do different things. I bet if we had time and we sat at little tables and... I had some food and coffee. We could talk about the ways we manage our pain, the what we deal with our pain. Depends on how strong it is for me. Sometimes I just want to sleep when I'm embarrassed or overwhelmed or feeling ashamed. Uh, sometimes I'll distract myself from my pain when it surfaces. When I feel overwhelmed, I like watching movies. Great thing but sometimes I use it to distract me from my pain instead of sit in it, instead of be present. I don't know what you do with your pain. I don't know what kind of temptations you experience when you're hurt, when you're angry, when you're feeling rejected. I love this verse from the book of Hebrews 1, chapter 2, that long ago, God spoke in many times, in many ways, to our ancestors, to the prophets. And now in these final days, He has spoken to us through His Son. This doesn't simply mean that we need to go to the Bible and simply read the red letters. Yes, we want to read the the red letters. We want to reflect on the life of Jesus deeply and daily. That's not what He's meaning. He's saying, can you, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your mess, can you be at home with a God who has such compassion that He's become one of you? That He isn't afraid of your mess. He's not ashamed of your failure. And he doesn't run from your failure and your pain. He's with you. He became you in a way. He's taken on our sin. The wrath of God that has been, was deserved for us was poured upon Him. He doesn't leave the room when it gets hard. He doesn't check out when things don't seem right. I wonder this morning as we think about the wonder of the Incarnation in that small way that I looked up in the trees, breathless and shocked with my brother-in-law at the tens of thousands of fireflies unexplainably lit in the trees. I wonder if in the midst of the tension in your life, can you stand back in the wonder of the Incarnation? Can you hear the voice of God shouting compassionately through the sun? I'm with you. I'm one of you. I get you. I'm not leaving. I'm staying put. Will you receive my fierce love? The Lord asked us this morning. <laughs> yes, indeed, the Lord might say, I love you so fiercely that in the midst of your pride and wanting to scramble out of shame in your own way and in your own time with your own resources, I get that squirm. But I feel like the Lord would say through His Son today, can I offend your mind? Can I fiercely love you? So that we can see a little bit of the pride that's there. That we can heal that through Jesus. That I might lift you up. Because the Lord would say to you that He wants to lift you up. The Lord's desire is not to crush us and leave us for dead. His desire is to meet us in our mess and to lift us up by His Spirit. And it may not be, and it probably won't be, old Uncle Drew, who's secretly Kyrie Irving or Clark Kent, who gets to be Superman. It's more likely going to be a quiet lifting up, a humble lifting up, although a lifting up that causes you and I to walk in our purpose, you and I to walk in the life that God has called us to. I want to invite Catherine and Craig to come forward. I know Craig has a responsive reading for us. Let's pray together. Lord, it is, it is a humble thing to be human and it's sometimes rewarding and warm and i pray that my friends this morning may even be feeling that warmth and that sense of community and love but lord i know all too well that it's also sometimes hard to be human and there are spaces and places that are absolutely humbling And this morning, as we reflect on your coming, the wonder of you being God willing to participate and walk out the greatest of humility. The God who is willing to invite us into that humility. Lord, I ask for grace in this room right now. Would you allow your grace to cause us to not be offended at pain and rejection? That you would... God, by Your Spirit, allow us to be be a peculiar people. A peculiar people who, like Jesus, a tender shoot growing. A root out of the dirt that we would be only and fully satisfied and lifted up by You. And Lord, as we reflect on the wonder of Your fierce love, that we would receive Your compassion in Your incarnation. Jesus, let Your grace as we Uh, This morning, continue in worship and reflection today and tomorrow. I pray, Father, that there be a grace for us to not hide, a grace for us to not strive, but a grace for us to be still and know that you are God. In Christ's mighty name, amen.